This episode is one of two being published this week, all about the topic of career development, your first few years after qualifying, making an awesome CV and portfolio, and the most important things you should focus on as a new graduate. So think of this as a new graduate week, two episodes this week. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. This episode is aimed at any student, any newly qualified dentist, or someone who's just ready for a career change, i.e. either you're applying for your first ever role as an associate dentist perhaps, or you've been stuck somewhere for a while and you wanna broaden your horizons and elevate your dentistry and so now you need to start thinking about a portfolio. Back in the day, dentists would hire other dentists by a handshake. Then things evolved into curriculum vitae or CVs. Of course, there's always a place for a cover letter in an email, for example, to complement your CV. But nowadays, it's all about the portfolio. Portfolios are a great way to show that you are a caring, reflective practitioner, and they really help you to stand out against the competition. I'm joined by a newly qualified dentist, James Murray, who's going to give us a guide about what it takes to make a decent portfolio. Not because he's the most amazing portfolio in the world, but he's been in this space. He's been thinking about this a lot because he's in exactly the right stage of his career. Newly qualified and has been very proactively, I've been very impressed with this young man, very proactively building his portfolio, which helped him to get his associate position. Hello, Patricia Rati. I'm Jazz Glati, and welcome back to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. This is an interference cast, which is like a non-clinical interruption. The themes covered in this episode are the portfolio, but everything that goes into the portfolio. What kind of stuff should you put inside there? What kind of photography should you be taking? And lots of photography tips in here. And it gives you a good insight into the challenges of being a newly qualified dentist. One thing we do talk about in this episode is community. And if you want to join a community, we have one on Facebook called the Protrusive Dental Community or on the app, protrusive.app. Once you're a Protrusive member, you can access our secret Telegram group. Let's join the main episode with James. I'll catch you in the outro. James Murray, welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast. How are you, my friend? Yeah, really good. Had quite a quiet day today. A little bit of exercise, then a little bit of work, a little bit of preparation for the podcast actually does. Just making sure, making sure I can get all of my experience portfolios and and deliver it in a way that, as you say, it's quite tangible. Amazing, I lo- love the use of the word. I appreciate it. Uh, well, you know, I I could have got someone on uh, James who was 15 years qualified, right? But the problem here's the problem with that, James, is that when you get someone who's 15 years qualified and we start talking about CVs and portfolios, they're like, "What are you talking about? I haven't had to make one for like." 12 years, right? So they're completely out of the loop. So who better than someone who's like really, really thought about it? Because when you're in the position where you're just out of dental school uh, and you're in your training year and then you're having to have almost like a pressure to, to think about the next step, and then you're thinking about it, and then nowadays with the world of social media, we're seeing what everyone else is up to. We're thinking, okay, I've got to get ahead of the curve. And therefore, you know, there used to be a back in the day, there weren't no CVs necessary. You just shake hands on it. Then CVs became a thing in dentistry. Then it became two pages and more. Then the cover letters. Then now what we're going to talk about is the portfolios. Now, before we dive deep into that, James, just tell our good friends, our listeners, a little bit about yourself in terms of you know where you qualified and what got you interested to talk about this kind of topic, which I'm sure is be very useful to anyone who's thinking about applying for a job. Yeah, so currently a foundation dentist. Um, I'm 
working up north in the Newcastle region at the moment. Currently up in Blyde specifically, if you know the area. And yeah, graduated in Newcastle Uni um, in 2022. And always had a keen interest in restorative dentistry and actually delivering just the best care and the best quality of care that I can. And once I graduated, I found out quite quickly that one of the ways to do that was through taking photos and taking photos, developing a portfolio, reflecting on my work. So that's how I sort of came about trying to focus my work and focus my this year on developing myself. Yeah. Well, James, every every time I have a, a fresh graduate on the show, I like to, if you don't mind, I just like to ask about the current state of affairs of dental school in terms of totals. Like when, when I say totals, like how many procedures do you get done now, right? So, we've, you know, famously certain dental schools during my time, this was 10 years ago, you know, would qualify with very few extractions. That was like a thing. I'm not going to say the name of the dental school uh, that was very low on extractions. It's not my, mine or it's not yours either. So don't worry. But, you know, certain dental schools had the requirements of just doing, you know, six canals or something like that before you can qualify, et cetera, et cetera. Now, you were kind of part of the COVID year, but I'm thinking the COVID was kind of like didn't disrupt your clinical so much because your clinical was probably more towards 2021, 2022, but you can correct me. Uh, what were the totals and requirements like and, and how how much experience do you think you got or didn't get? Specific numbers. I would I rough, rough guide. Rough guide. I would probably say it was about 70 extractions, 50, 60 fillings and mebbies four crowns, four randos. So to be perfectly honest, going out of dental school, I didn't feel like I had the most experience. And my third year, which was the COVID year, mm-hmm. was disrupted. Currently in dental school, it's the look of the draw with patients. If you get a patient where they have absolutely loads, they have no time commitments, and you can call them in when you have a cancellation, that's great. But for me, I didn't until about end of fourth year, middle of fourth year, start of fifth year, really. So getting those numbers was a big stress. Huge. And, and and the issue is, you know, even when I was qualifying, I think I must have done like 12 crowns. And even then that was like kind of average, I think uh, it wasn't that much. And one thing I remember, actually, James, is being really stressed or anxious about even qualifying first few years is, uh, and tell me if you can relate to this, is breaking contact, i.e. you're doing crown prep and the interproximals try and break it without touching the adjacent tooth, you know, distal of uh, upper molar. Uh, that, that was extremely stressful. It took me years to not have a, an escalated heart rate when I was doing that bit. Now, when you speak to experienced dentists, like, what are you talking about? Because they, they forget, right? Is that still a thing? Do you do you have that as well? Oh, I have that, I would say, on every on every procedure, no matter how simple it is. Mm. Even this year, you see a dentist who can do every procedure you can in an hour and a half, do that in 20 minutes. And there is that imposter syndrome in your FD yet in dental school. There's always going to be someone better than you, someone quicker. I worry on a daily basis thinking is there a dentist who could do this job better than me and the way that I've tried to reframe that is by taking my photos taking my developing my portfolio and actually asking for advice from these dentists rather than being fearful or jealous or anxious about what they might think of the procedure that I've done and I think Mm -hmm. that's really helped set me up on the right yeah, and any student listening, really, really key advice there. And, and I would say, 
it's extremely steep learning curve when you're at dental school and even just especially in the, the year, last year that you had basically in the, in the big bad world, uh, trying to do a lot of things still for the first time and the first few times. And uh, the advice I want to give to you, James, is or not even advice, the reflection I want to pass on to you is I admire the fact that you feel nerves. I admire the fact that you, you worry because um, the dentists I've seen in my career so far that I've worked with who were uh, same level of experience as me or, or, or less, whatever, that didn't have the fear they were reckless and they just didn't care about the patient. It's, it's from, you know, very few, thankfully, very few, right? So what you're saying is I think is completely normal and just shows that you are caring and you want to do the best possible. So that will serve you well. Keep that up. That's amazing. So let, let's t- go into portfolios, which is the main thing. And the first question I want to ask you is CVs, cover letters, portfolios. 2023, what kind of stuff are you and your cohort of colleagues preparing? What, are, what, what do all these things look like uh, as a snapshot for, for your generation? So I think the previous thoughts were to write a CV, write down all your postgraduate qualifications, write down all of your experience and things you've done outside of dentistry as well. However, coming out of FD and my cohort, have very little postgraduate experience, very little postgraduate training. So when it came to it, I was very resistant to do a CV, to be perfectly honest. I felt like it was a waste of time because the first thing is what would it actually achieve other than highlight to the principal that I haven't done those qualifications. And the second thing, is that would it make me stand out? And the answer to both of those was no. So the two things that I currently do or did do when I was applying for jobs was write a covering email. And at the end of that covering email, have a small link to my online portfolio that the practice principal could quite easily access. And that's just how I've done it. And there's no right or wrong way to do that but that's that's what i'm currently doing at the moment and just to help someone maybe in your position in years from now um what kind of some people get confused i don't know what to include in the cover letter can you give us a flavor of what you know because you've thought about this a lot you've done it a few, a few times now uh, what kind of thing do you think is important to include uh, in a cover letter and is this to a cold practice i.e., you don't know the principal there you don't know anyone there you're just like okay you like this look of the practice uh, or is it was it a warm practice so i think you can apply the same principles to every cover email depending on whether you've had a recommendation to go there whether you've seen it as an advert on facebook i don't think that matters the key principles for me in a cover letter especially from the perspective of a foundation dentist is willingness for mentorship willingness to learn i think being humble and being open about where your weaknesses are as well So just to really give you a flavor of a few of those things and how that might look in a cover an email, I think the first thing would be one of the phrases that I use is I'm just a foundation dentist. And although I may not have the postgraduate qualifications and experiences that you may require, I do have the willingness to learn and the willingness to develop. And I would say that that's definitely something that I would include in my cover and email. I think having a look at the website, but yeah, having a look at the website before you apply for the job so that you know what the practice principal can offer you, but also if the practice principal 
is the right type of person for you? Does he have the same interest? And if you do share interest, highlight that in the covering email. So I would say that that's definitely one of the things that I would include. Well, I'm hoping that the Petrusharanti are are cut above the average, right? And they're, they're very intelligent people. But now and again, we get colleagues who may send an email that uh, reads a bit like this. Dear principal, there's no personal touch. You should know who the they should know their name, right? The, the little basic things. And, and when I look at it, I get lots of emails and stuff from people who want to be on the podcast, like, uh, dear host or whatever. Dear host of Petrusharanti. Like, piss off right come on there needs to be some sort of personal touch to it right so so that's just basics but i guess that is to that is a hook for them to be like okay this seems like a genuine person let me now look at the portfolio and i do think that the portfolio really is where you get to to shine not necessarily because you're an awesome dentist and you got all these cases but a reflection which we'll come to so what did you use to build a portfolio and what does a portfolio look like how many pages is it i mean i've seen some portfolios because uh, you know, people email me their portfolios to check and whatnot Please don't uh, see this as a license, everyone, to email me your portfolios. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm already swamped. But to, to see well, some, of the, some of the ones I saw were absolutely brilliant. But what they were is they were almost brochures, like 28 pages. I mean, very luxurious, very fa- fancy. Does it have to be that way? Give us a flavor of that. Well, I can only speak from my experience. And currently, I've only seen my own portfolio. Um, my portfolio is currently 12 cases long. I'm a foundation dentist as well. So my cases that I'm presenting are not complex. They're a simple adhesive onlay. They're a direct composite. They're a distal composite. I have a wide variety of things that I planned at the start of the year that I wanted to include. And I think when compiling a portfolio, you have to be asking yourself the question, what do I want to show the practice principle in this case? Is it a new matrix technique that you've learned? Is it the anatomy used following the style Italiano anatomy guide? Is it improvement from one case to another? So actually in my case, and I think it's case three and four, in mine that I've compiled, showing the improvement of my anatomy on a premolar, something that I really struggled with, and it's not the hardest thing to do. And I just printed off the style Italiano guides and reflected upon that. I think it doesn't matter how many cases a portfolio has. For me, it's just about having a portfolio. It shows the practice principle, willingness to learn, willingness to develop. And I think ultimately it shows that you're caring for your patients. I think that the best principles that I know, most forward thinking, they have been often the ones that hire young blood with less experience because what they do is they hire for attitude, right? And 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 really, you just need to be good enough. You don't need to be like, at your stage, you don't need to be like all this singing, dancing, doing veneers and stuff. It's, it's, it's unlikely. It's, it's just, uh, it's dangerous, I'd say, right? You need to show that you're a safe practitioner and sh- sh- make your attitude uh, shine across. And that attitude comes from the reflection. Just like you said, I think a really great way to do it is, here's a premolar from the start of my year. Here's a premolar from six months later. Here are the areas I focused on. And I was so pleased that I, was, I managed to do it. I've got a little bit more to do, obviously. I'm not, I'm not the finished product, but what you get with me is someone who keeps trying and wanting to do the best I can. Uh, and maybe a couple of radiographs showing the nice seal that you can make as well might, might add some good value. And I think if a principal sees that, they say, yeah, this person A, tries, B, reflects and tries to improve and see they are good enough their clinical dentistry is good enough now i want to invite them to interview 
to see if I like this person or not. What do you think to that? Occlusion is just so confusing. Does occlusion even matter? Wait, don't you just grind away all the blue marks, right? You mean like plant it low, let it grow? Or leave it high and let them cry? Listen, what are these interferences even interfering with? Is it safe to lengthen teeth? How much can I raise my patient's bite? How can you stop your composite restorations from chipping? Can you raise the OVD on a patient with clicking TMJs? Is canine guidance always better than group function? Why can't I just use the dial technique on all my wear cases? Can I stop my patients from grinding? What the bloody hell is crossover? What should the occlusion look like after orthodontics? How and why do you check for frematis? What on earth is a custom incisal guide table? How do you use a leaf gauge? Do you always need to use a Facebook? Does everyone really need a perfect occlusion? What is the difference between edge wear and pathway wear? Is it naughty to adjust the opposing tooth? What the f is centric relation? Occlusion is coming. One does not simply just open the bite. May the force mitigation be with you. If you want to do a deep dive, 30 plus hours into occlusion uh, online, just like in this format, but actually individual videos, lessons that are five minutes long, 20 minutes long, a few odd half an hour lessons, and lots of clinical videos and case walkthroughs, then check out occlusion.online. It's occlusion basics and beyond online course with me and Mahmood. If you are looking to take the next step in learning occlusion, that's going to make your restorative dentistry predictable. Yeah, there was one thing that a practice principal actually said to me that really stood out. They said that skills can be learned, but your attitude is very difficult to change. So if you're going in with the attitude that as a foundation dentist going into associate year, you are brilliant. You can do your composite veneers, you know your anatomy, you can do your root canals in 30 minutes, for example. I think it's just unrealistic and it shows that you've got the wrong attitudes because there's always someone better than you and there's always something you can learn from that person. And I don't think any practice principal wants a dentist who isn't willing to take advice and suggestions because it's just a recipe for disaster. Well, that's definitely what, what I've found anyway. Agreed. And the, the, the hard skills, dentistry, you know, is a long career. It, it can all be learned. But a, a big thing that principals think about when they're hiring is Will this individual fit into my team? Will my patients like this individual? Do I want to see this individual every single day? Do I want to conversate with them? Will they get along with my nurses? Because all it takes, right, is one bad apple to completely ruin the taste of the entire practice. I've, I've seen it been done. Usually uh, it could be a new nurse, it could be a new dentist, whatever, and it completely mess the dynamic of the practice. So yes, they want someone who's good enough, and that's what your portfolio shows. When they see you at the interview, and they look in the eye, and, they, and, and you show your human side, that's what's going to show them that, you know what, this person is, is a nice, caring individual. They're enthusiastic. It's good to have a pulse, right? It's good to have some enthusiasm. <laughs> and they think, yeah, this person is going to fit into my team. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. And I think it's really important, not only for the practice principal to know that you're a good fit for them, but that you're a good fit for that practice. And making sure that your ethos really matches that they're willing to invest in materials, they're willing to invest in matrix bands, clamps, to give the best to their patients. And if that's not the case, I think in my position, I would have been considering whether I'm the right person for there and whether I can provide the best dentistry that I can to 
my patience. And I think that's always something really important to have in mind. What did you use, James, to actually make the portfolio? Like, do you use Keynote, use um, Google Docs? Just give us a flavor. Some people like, you know, uh, technology, they, they, so it's a hurdle for them. Just uh, give us a flavor of what you used. Yeah, so I actually asked for advice from a few dentists who are on Instagram. I chatted with a dentist like Chris O'Connor, ones that I really respected. And the advice that they gave me was a website called Canva.com. It's a really simple software to use can drag and drop your images you can reorder your boxes it has lovely set templates i don't think it particularly matters what template you use how it looks you can do it however you want you can do it however you want but what i would say is that just just choose a software that you feel comfortable with using and but i do find canva really useful uh, agreed. Canva is an absolutely brilliant tool. We use it for protrusive as well. Thumbnails, artwork, that kind of stuff uh, it, it is fantastic. It doesn't have to be, you know, all this really, really pretty thing. It just needs to make it clear and easy to read and easy to follow for the person who's reading it. And I mean, the, in terms of populating it with the photos, uh, here's an interesting one for you. Like a lot of dentists I, I know still don't take photos you know they go through their career that without taking photos obviously no one wants to read a portfolio as an essay like hey i wanted a, a composite and i thought i etched really well and i, I produced a good result without any photos that's that's bs right so um, what kind of photos are you taking are you taking intraorals are you taking dslr and tell us about your journey into photography so journey into photography i had absolutely no journey to start with i started never being able to use a camera getting our photographer in Newcastle University to take all my photos, my final cases. But when I started, we had a brilliant study day and it was recommending, and while just chatting about the sentence and the best thing that I did and the best thing that I can advise for any foundation dentist would be to buy their own camera. And the sentence get changed on your practice one in your foundation yeah the settings get changed the batteries aren't charged the memory cards full photos get lost photos get deleted and when you need it and when you need the camera it's in use or you can't find it and what it is when you're ready to take a photo it has to be there ready set up and ready to go you never own a camera in, in dental practice in a case you don't have to if you have to actually assemble your lens to the body every time you use a camera it's not going to work beyond one day of, of your practicing career so great advice there James have it have your own one, have it ready to use. Yeah, and I would actually say, well, I, I plan on a Sunday, all of my patients that I have, wow. I look through my diary for the week. And I think especially it's important as a foundation dentist to maybe do a little bit of research before seeing that patient. You haven't done a fiber pulse before. But ultimately, I use it to identify those patients where I've got a little bit of time. I've booked out that hour and a half or that hour for a nice conversation. And I know my camera is going to be set up. I know my accessories. I bought the Focus Flex accessory kit from Manesh Patel's um, website. Just with a little buckle mirror to take my intro shots for the camera. And I know you mentioned what photos do I actually take. The photos I primarily take are, are completely dependent on what I'm trying to highlight in my portfolio. So if I'm trying to highlight a matrix technique or it's a posterior, I'll be using a bubble mirror and I'll be taking an in-the-mouth before shot, a photo with rubber dam, a photo with the cavity prepared, a filling. 
So the photo with the filling under rubber dam and then the photo in the mouth without rubber dam. And that's my treatment sequence. Now, if I wanted to highlight something else, maybe it's a new wedging technique, that might be something that I want to take a photo of and highlight in my portfolio in addition. And um, some of my cases have two photos. Some of them have 10 and it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Agreed. And when you started to take photos, I think one advice I give to everyone is make sure whichever mm-hmm. nurse is supporting you, you just get them in on it. Hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a dentist who likes to take photos and therefore uh, let's make sure the mirrors are warm to prevent them steaming up. Uh, have some retractors, like you said, so, so important. You know, dentists have cameras and then they like have these horrible rubber, not rubber, the plastic retractors, which don't allow that from the mirror to go in so you can't take an occlusal one so you need you need one that she's going to work in that sense tell us about your occlusal photos nine months ago and your occlusal photos now oh my occlusal photos are not insistent jazz previously they would have been steamy they would have been over or underexposed so too light or too dark they would miss off the tooth that i was trying to highlight but ultimately there's a few things that i found really useful I think having some light already on the mirror from your overhead dental lamps really useful. And four-handed dentistry, as he said, working with the nurse. My nurse always has the three-in-one tip blowing air on the mirror, so it never steams up. And to be perfectly honest, photography is all about experimentation. It's all about trial and error, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't position of the patient it starts to become second nature and the more photos you take there'll be an exponential improvement in the photography and that's sort of well that's my experience of it you hit the nail on the head you know photos is something that you just need to keep going even though your first six months of photos will be absolutely garbage 90 percent of them will be absolute garbage but it's okay because you're learning and then eventually it's muscle memory it becomes so easy i can take all my photos with just me i don't even i don't even need a nurse anymore i can just do a whole series without a nurse but that took time for me to do and the one thing that minish patel talks about which i echo as well is getting a really light setup that you can hold it in one hand if you can do that, then it makes things very achievable. Then you can actually hold the other, the mirror in your own hand, get more control over that. Uh, and just keep taking them. Even though you're rubbish, keep taking them, keep taking them. You're going to improve over time. Uh, and then when, you're fine, when you've nailed your settings, then it's just rinse and repeat. So don't, if you're someone who has been afraid to venture into photography, please do it. And if you're struggling with occlusals, I do have a, I made a YouTube video like three years ago, four years ago. It's on there about just occlusals because I find that's a, a really tricky one that, that a lot of people uh, struggle with. And of course, you mentioned the buckle mirror was like that long thin one really good to take quadrant photos so super important to have all this kit tell us james about any resources for photography that you recommend yeah so i think one resource for photography that i really recommend is the photography for dentist page and also the two dentists youtube channel i think both of those amazing shout out things, to those guys two things that i used and the photography the dentist page gave me an idea of the camera setup the settings to use and gave me some confidence on taking those first intraoral photos and the two dentists also provided me with that and I I thought both of those are really useful. Two dentists, photography for dentist page. I'm also going to add as a course, uh, futurelearn.com, which is um, a a good simple course to do as well. Uh, That's how I started. Gosh, that was like uh, 10, 11 years ago. Uh, And also uh, on Instagram, dentist.camera. My friend Alessandro, uh, he posts really good stuff from basics to more advanced stuff as well with photography. So uh, I'm glad to have shared those resources. Thank you.
those were the main questions I wanted to ask, James, in terms of uh, portfolio building. But I just want to give you the mic, my friend. You know, you've had a really, you told me before we started recording, you've had a really intense year. And I remember my first year at dental school was constantly learning every single minute something new, right? You know, every day I'm learning something new. When you're a DF1, you're learning whether it's patient management skills, people management skills in terms of working as a team. You don't know what you don't know. There's so much in perio. There's so much in tooth replacement, so much in prosthodontics that we just don't know because we, we just haven't been exposed yet. Right. So what advice would you want to give a to your former self when you started the year and then to, to everyone else who will be joining your footsteps uh, in the coming months? I think there's two things. I think in terms of the fear, the doubt, that imposter syndrome, just understand that that is completely normal, that you are going to feel like you're not as good as the other dentists in the practice, because ultimately, in terms of skill set, you're not. And the faster that you understand that, the more content that you'll be. And one of the things that we were chatting about just before the podcast started was about reframing that into what can I learn from the people I work with. And my advice would be take photos, even when the work is dreadful, even when the work you're not proud of, it's an open contact. But if you don't photograph that, and take that to your practice principal or your educational supervisor, how are they going to be able to give you advice? And if you can visually show them where you went wrong, they've done so many more courses, have so many more patient experiences with that, that they can completely guide you. And so that would be two pieces of advice, photos and use your colleagues around you use them for experience because you can use every single situation as a learning experience well said every master was once a disaster and uh, no matter what you see you know you don't you don't see the the journey you don't see everyone's journey you just see the beautiful stuff they're posting out now but 15 years ago you know it wasn't it wasn't the way you know dentistry is a, is a tough tough gig but it's so rewarding uh, and it is an expression of art. So the, 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 one of my big thing now is trying to promote dentistry as art because I re, I, I'm trying to th- think what is it that's going to make everyone have a fulfilling and happy career. And the more we can be artistic, the more it doesn't necessarily mean cosmetic dentistry. You can be artistic with the surgery. You can be artistic in every way. As, even the way you communicate with a patient can become an art. As long as you embrace that art and see the beauty in it and i don't want anyone to bury their head in the sand and ignore the negativity you know be have a, a awareness of it but if you focus in on the negativity it's a bit like those um, slalom skiers you know if they're constantly focusing on, on avoiding uh, the, the 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 trees or the obstacles whatever they're going to hit it but if they're focusing on the clear path then they're more likely to, to, to make it. Uh, James, thanks so much for, for giving, giving up your, your time and enthusiasm to, to help the next generation of dentists. I think that's going to help them to get a portfolio. I think it'll give them the kick up the butt they need to just do it, right? Just the main thing is just do it. Uh, and if you're lucky enough to have listened to this episode as a student or at the beginning of your DF1, then do everything James said. Get that camera and ask your colleagues for advice. And we live in a time now where it's never been a better time to be a dentist who wants to learn. It's never been a better time to be a dentist who wants to learn because learning opportunities are everywhere. And the problem we're having now is that there's too much. It's too much noise. There's too much stuff on YouTube. There's too many podcast episodes of mine. There's too many Instagram stuff, right? There's too much. And so what you end up doing is you end up drowning your life trying to learn this, learn that, learn that. But 
I'm a big advocate. I don't know if you heard me say this, James, four of just in time learning. Yeah. If you if you if you know you know like I love what you do on Sundays that's that's amazing man that's really good and if on Sunday you've seen that hey on Thursday uh, I've got my, my first resin on a bridge I haven't done one of those in ages or it's been a long while since I've done it then make the flavor of that week you know what I'm gonna revise the bonding protocol I'm gonna do we have panavia what cement do we have in the practice I'm gonna think about the prep design if required I'm gonna think about my lab I'm gonna think about which photos I'm gonna take rather than uh, just revising extraction techniques that week when actually Actually, you haven't singled that out as a as something you need to focus on. So, I'm a big fan in, uh, of just in time learning. So, I just want to add that in. James, thank you so much, my friend. Nope, thank you very much, Saz. I appreciate it. Well, there we have it, guys. Some top tips on how to make the best portfolio, how to put your best foot forward. These are essential nowadays. And if you have a CV, if you have a cover letter and a portfolio, I think you really stand a good chance to get that interview. At that interview, you just show them your human side. You show them that you can fit into the team. And with that, I wish you all the best. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. I really hope you get the associate position that you deserve. If you enjoyed this episode, please do consider giving it a rating wherever you listen to it. Otherwise, I catch you same time, same place next week.